Welcome back everyone to another week of Carpool Q&A here with Pastor Tom. How you going Tom? Very good mate. Very Feeling good. good. Love We're... the Lord's Day. Amen. We're on our way up to Logan Church, Hope Reform Baptist Church, and we're just tuning in to have a few questions related to church planting and sending our elders a first question. Tom, what is the process in sending out an elder to plant a church? Talk us through that. The process is pretty much exactly as the question has been asked. Identify the person able and called to do so. That would be two important parts of the of the um, qualification. Would be um, which, we, in terms of eldership, is what we see in First Timothy three. First, you have a desire for the calling. 1 Timothy 3 says, he who has who desires to be an overseer desires a noble calling. So if he has the in, in, in compulsion to do so and the capacity and the competency, which is what the rest of the qualifications are about. Does he have the right character? Can he teach? Is his household and all this stuff? Let's right. assume so that's eldership. I, I would start by saying a church planter is not a different role in the local church, is not a uh, distinct position. It is rather, a church planter is an elder that is just doing the ministry outside of this local church and instead is starting that local church. So it's, you know, same with a missionary. A missionary should not be sent out to be a full-time leading missionary if they are not qualified to be an elder. So same with church planting. They first of all need to be elder qualified and then you just send them and they go do what an elder does, which is preach the word, disciple people, and would it be both the elders and the congregation sending them? No, not necessarily. For an elder to be an elder, and as we've said in previous weeks, this comes back to part of our historic Reformed Baptist belief that in, you are not ordained to be an elder simply because the people above you say you should be an elder, but you are a pastor because the flock themselves vote and say, in a congregational calling, we want you to be an elder, right? Over us. So, in terms of an elder, yeah, they need congregational vote to become an elder. But if, but if we're saying um, an elder is being sent elsewhere, then, then they don't have to be an elder where they're being sent from. They don't have to be voted on where they're being sent from. The elders may just say, here's a qualified person, go and preach. And the fact that people are brought by the Lord and saved, and the very fact that the people sit under your preaching is... A manifestation of their choice to make you a pastor and so at some point you formalize it and say okay you guys are covenant members we're all a membership now and we vote on and call that man to be an official elder and then you have an independent church mm. make sense yep so I guess after that once you have a person and I guess we've we've spoken about what should the team consist of in previous videos so yep. once you have that team of an elder and a deacon then the next point would really just be decide where to go where to plant and sometimes people have like a really you know a, a, a deep sense of a call of, of, from God to go to a certain place because they they're from that place they just desire to go there now all that stuff can be thrown to the wayside if if a window is open elsewhere like a door of opportunity Paul would call it is, is opened elsewhere that, he, that it would be smarter to go and minister to a better use of the mission money and time and effort and skill yeah, if you're just deciding where to go, then I have I see no problem with 
with, I guess, discerning a call to a certain location. I love that area. I want to see Christ proclaimed in that area. Those are my people. That's all right. A love of place and people. For us, it was more a matter of strategy and kind of a pragmatic decision. You know, somewhere nearby so that I can zip between churches. Somewhere near enough nearby so that even when I'm no longer preaching at both, we can still have a meaningful relationship between the elders, but also far enough away that it's not just down the street. You know, it, it, it legitimizes having two separate churches to, to meet the, um, the spiritual needs of those two different locations. And so that as the plant grows, it's not right down the road, like we said, from the sending church. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we went about 35 minutes away, Gold Coast. We can still travel between, but it's far enough away that most people will not drive up to the Lord Logan, and most Loganites will not be going to Gold Coast for a church. Yeah, so you get your team, you decide on a location, and then I guess it's just the pragmatics of what time, what building, uh, and you start getting, you just promote it as much as possible before you start so that, so that people can decide, uh, can know about it and decide to go. Okay, so so we haven't sent an elder to go do a church plant, but rather you as an elder extending your ministry to start a yeah. new church and then we will recognize elders. We were, when you say we, you mean the sending church? Yes. No, the sending church does not actually have to recognize the elders because it's not going right. to be their elders. So for our example, the Gold Coast, the Gold Coast, God will add numbers to the people. People will get saved. The church will come to whatever a critical mass looks like. Maybe there's 20 people who are regular. It could be 10 people who are regular, but people who are committed there and evidently saved. God has brought together and unifying. And we say, all right, Let's put our constitution out on the table and make do the very inaugural church members meeting and say, everybody, put your hand forward, uh, vote on each other or, or vote here to become a member yep. as screened by the elders, like the elders make sure who's, who's applying is appropriate. And then um, uh, those people, which will contain the pastor, vote on and call the pastor to pastor them. So the sending church doesn't vote on the pastors. Yep. The planted church planted does. Church, yeah. However, the sending elders will have a... Until they ordain their own elders in the plant, they are under the, the ministry and oversight yeah. of the local sending church. Which means that whichever elder is being voted on should have some input from the sending pastors. Yeah. Yeah. Clear. So, in the case of our ministry or your ministry sending out an elder to a... Yeah unreached place the gospel has not been there okay what's the process for that sent elder maybe as a deacon with him what, what do they do what's their process for starting a brand new church so this is obviously I'm not going to say like an extreme example as if it's it, it should be considered as rare but, but it's definitely the, a great example of, and, and, and definitely a uh, a specific example of not planning elsewhere nearby but this is like missions sending someone elsewhere yep. an awesome example of doing that I think that it, it uh, that again, as I've said already, New Testament would show us examples that are pretty stripped back. Now, I'm willing, of course, to say it doesn't mean that doing more than what, uh, you know, having more resources or doing additional steps than what maybe the first century church had on hand. I'm not saying that's sinful. I'm not trying to be too boiled down. But we do still see the simple fact is New Testament when God wanted churches to get planted, he just sent dudes somewhere, they preached the gospel, 
people got saved. They didn't need all the fanfare and the, and mm. the uh, pageantry and the fancy lights. So, again, yeah, maybe it's an individual going. Ideally, it would be two, because, again, that's Paul's pattern. He was only alone in Athens and for a period in Corinth because he had to, you know, by necessity. He did not choose to be alone. His, his pattern was... So, if we go to Acts 13, we see that the church in Antioch decided to... Look, let's rewind even further. Acts 8 and Acts 11 show us that the persecution spread people elsewhere and that the church of Antioch appeared out of thin air because people, you know, Jewish Christians were running away from persecution and dared to speak the law, the, the word of the Lord, speak the gospel to non-Jews. And we're in Antioch. So you've got Jewish people and non-Jewish people believing on Christ. Bada boom, you've got a, you've got a church. So... It's pretty stripped back. There's people sharing the gospel until people get saved. And you trust the gospel to have that power. Mm. Then out of Antioch, in Acts 13, once Paul had ministered there alongside Barnabas for a time, the Spirit told them through fasting and a period of fasting and prayer, lay hands on Paul and Barnabas, they're set apart for the ministry. And what did they do? They, you know, they're going to go and win the Gentiles to Christ. Okay? What's all the plan? What mission is going to support them? What agency is going to be on their back? What's, going to, what's the funding going to be? Send them with what they need. Put them on a boat. Kick them in the backside. Pray for them. Mm. And they just went. and went from town to town to town to town to different areas. And, and they saw a great harvest won. So, yeah, that's, that, that's what happened. Pragmatically, like, the, Paul still would have... He had in his mind... Um, wise decisions and smart plans of action. Like we know that he says he, he remained in Ephesus for a long time because that's what I think he means when I'm trying to remember I think it was to the Corinthians that he said I'm going to stay here and winter here because a, a wide door of opportunity is open for me. I think what he was talking about was the winter games that, that happened in Ephesus when tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people would come from all over the empire to Ephesus. I think that, you know, he was going he was going to attract and you know, open air preach and all of that in the Hall of Tyrannus. You know, that's a massive missional decision. So, so he was still planning ahead. And of course he thought at one point in like Acts 16, I'm going to go into Asia. Like I'm going to go into the Ephesus area. And the spirit said, no, don't do that. You're doing that because that seems like a good decision. Lots of souls down there. But in fact, go this way. Um, and then he ends up seeing a vision in Philippi and going over to Macedonia. Right. So, so all, all that to say, of course, Paul was planning his trips. He had his time scheduled out as much as he could plan. He knew how to use his citizenship. You know, he had all his passports sorted out. Yes, he was organized. We're not saying he's being idiotic and jumping on a plane and just going to wherever. So we shouldn't do that today. We plan a lot, but if all you're doing is sending a dude with a Bible in his hand to an unreached people group, and he, you know, he knows something of the people, and he's going to be able to speak to them. And he, then they go, they learn the language on the ground if they need to. If they can learn it before they get there, even better, better use of time. He um, lives among them, lives like them, ministers the gospel to them, and there you go, you have a church. That still should be. That's the most New Testament way to do it. Yeah. And I think that if we trust God with that, we will see the greatest results. So sending out elder qualified men yep. trusted with the gospel and expecting yes. and praying for God to build yes. churches. 
correct. Right. And with them, other non-elder qualified people can go, right? Because mm. as long as he's the elder leading it, then other yeah. people can go, right? So the, the church should decide, especially if they're going to be supporting him, they should vote on the fact that we're going to send this person. We all agree that he is called and qualified, and therefore we agree to use our tithed money on this purpose. They send him out with whoever goes, probably his wife and kids. And Paul says that an elder and a missionary has the right to demand that enough is given for him to support his wife and kids so he doesn't have to work in a secular job. And then him and the team that goes with him, <clears throat> preach the gospel, evangelize, minister, start a church. Local churches should be the, the action plan for missions rather than starting an orphanage, doing stuff like that. It should be planning churches. That's what missions is. That's right. what New Testament missions is. Mm. Following up on sending out elders, yeah. what should we think of missionary societies or, or missionary groups that are aiding churches but seem to be operating outside of a local church spicy yeah yeah a mission agency is not biblically grounded if it is not centered on supporting the local church so if it is the the focus uh, the locus of operation if in other words somebody wants to be a missionary so they are told by their church now churches are complicit in this error a lot of the time if they are told by their church, go enjoy the mission agency, or if the mission agency takes somebody from a local church, puts them on the mission team, and does all, you know, works with them to send them to a location, and then they go there and they do missions, and then what they do on the ground is obviously a, a, a question as well. Like, what are they doing? Are they working in an orphanage? Are they cleaning the streets? Are they building people's schools? Are they evangelizing? Or are they serving in a local church or seeking to establish a local church? Is, you know, are they sent somewhere where there is currently a missionary elder qualified man around whom they can center their ministry? If not, then, then again, it's unbiblical. I'm naturally disinclined to any parachurch organization of any kind because they try to do the church's work without all of the church's promises, purity, regulations, sacraments, and all the rest, right? Not necessarily an issue. They're not necessarily wrong, but I'm automatically um, hesitant. Uh, hesitant, yeah. And then, you know, we also see it go wrong all the time. The, the way that a parachurch organization can do it biblically is simply to call themselves a supporter of or an enabler of local churches, um, yeah, to support and equip local churches to get their missionary elder qualified men and, and uh, supporting men and women onto the ground in missionary areas. Mm. That's biblical. That's fine. That, that's, a, that's a great thing. For a, for a parachurch organization to to say to a church, you want to send, and so they're selective about which churches they partner with, you want to send men of this conviction, this, theolo this theology, this qualification, this capacity, and these team members, or this missionary, or this gal who wants to go, we will help you. We have inroads, we have opportunities, we have contacts, we maybe even have funding. We have all the admins sorted out. So you get to send your guy and we'll get them there. That, that can work, you know, that can work. That is, that is a sense in uh, how Hope Church uh, partners with Engage International. Engage International is not so much a mission organization, it is a, well, definitely is, but it's not that they create missionaries, but they have missionaries sent from their churches 
that go with the badge of Engage, and so Engage is supporting people on the ground and aiding a lot of that, but they are not themselves the senders. Mm. Uh, Heart Crime Missionary Agency would be a similar work. That would be Paul Wash's, uh, well, the, the one that Paul, um, I believe he founded it, I can't remember. But Paul Wash was involved in that. Similar, works a similar way. They support local churches to send out men and women. Yeah. Yeah, right. So our, our vision and our kind of prayer and hope for Hope Reform Baptist Church over the next decade is to plant 10 churches. Uh, five. Five, five hey, churches. I'm, I'm dreaming small. Dreaming small. We should be praying for 10. Yeah. yeah. Praying for 10, but aiming for five. Um, that's our vision and, and prayer. You mentioned earlier that the mission of planting churches should be above things, mercy ministries. Yeah. Uh, why is that the case? Why are we really honing in on church planting? Good works flow out of the church and flow out of regenerate people. So the church should never be against anything like feeding the poor. <laughs> I'm never going never gonna to put a stop to the feeding of poor people and the housing of widows because, you know, uh, we should good. start a church instead. But obviously that stuff should be done by Christians. However, the power and the mission that God has given to his bride is to disciple the nations, make disciples of all nations, go out and plant churches, teach them everything I've, I've taught you to obey. So, of course, where you have a people, a group of people that are well-taught and well-discipled, the needy will be fed and clothed and housed, right? Mercy ministries will be done. That's part of... That should just be flowing out of a church. But to have that, you need a church. So if you go somewhere in a very needy area... And you begin a mercy ministry. Cool. Good on you. You've made a mercy ministry. Um, not the call of the, ch of, of the church as an organization, an institution. Not what she's supposed to do. She doesn't start mercy, mercy ministries out there to create an institution or a charity. Mm. But rather, she is to multiply churches. And a church is supposed to be an, an organic mercy ministry. It, that will flow out of that. Also, as a pastor, my job is not to start mercy ministries. My job is to train men, entrust them with the teaching, send them. And so, look, pragmatically, if somebody wants lots of people fed and lots of people helped and, and society helped the best way possible, the answer is still plant churches, right? Because um, if you get 100 people regenerate in a city that is otherwise filled with unregenerate people, you're going to have more good works done than if you send 20 people to start a mercy ministry. That's just how it works over the long term. But also our aim is not to... Mercy ministry is not the aim. That's not the mission. That's a part... That's a, one of the steps on the way. That's one of the things we obey Christ in and doing is being merciful and doing good works. It's not the aim. It's not the high point. The high point is that all people from all over the nations will be brought in and be worshipping Christ. Worshipping... One of the parts of worship is mercy ministry. But to get to the main goal, we need to plant churches. Mm. You know, that's the keys that are given to the church. The keys of the kingdom, which is teaching and opening up the doors of the kingdom to bring people in. That, that, that teaching ministry, which Jesus calls the, you know, the, the gives to the, the elders and corporately to the church and says, here's the keys of the kingdom. That is not given to another organization. That is not given to any other body. It's not given to the family. It's not given to, to charities. It's given to the church. So unless you have a church doing the sacraments, teaching the Bible, believing the gospel, worshipping Jesus, you don't have the power of Christ to uh, do what the Great Commission demands. Mm. Great. Clear.
We're pulling up to we're, church. We're at church. So that'll conclude our carpool Q&A for this week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all next week. Go. Made it here safely. Yes, we did. Praise Catch us Lord. later.